1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. The title of the sermon tonight is The Signs of the Kingdom. 1 Samuel 10, 1 through 13. Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? When you go from me today, then you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you will go on further from there, and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor. And there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug or skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. Afterward, you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and a lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. It shall be when these things come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. Then it happened when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, and all these signs came about on that day. When they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily so that he prophesied among them. It came about when all who knew him previously saw that he prophesied now with the prophets that the people said to one another, What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man there said, Now, who is their father? Therefore, it has become a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. This is the word of the Lord. Now, as we open up this text um, in the history of the Bible, when a great change takes place, that great change is, also, is always marked by great signs or great works. At creation, there's God and there's nothing. And then when he speaks, let there be, something came into existence. So that's a mark of some great change this taking place. And he said, let there be, let there be, and there was more, and there was more, and there was more, more signs that something great is taking place. When the Lord created the nation of Israel, he brought them out of Egypt in that great exodus. He raises up Moses, the mediator, and he gave him signs. What signs did he give him? Remember the signs? He threw his rod down and it became a serpent. He put his hand in his bosom and he pulled it back out and it was white and white as snow with leprosy. And he took water from the Nile and poured it on the ground and became blood. These were signs that a great change was coming about. And when Jesus came on the scene, after 400 years of total silence, Malachi being the last word of God, the synoptics tell us that Jesus did works of power, dunamis, boom, power. But John says they're attesting miracles. They are they're miracles that point and you could go to John 20. I've been teaching my kids this. John 20, 
right in there where it says, why is John written? Well, it's written to teach us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and believing in His name, we might have eternal life. When we come to the signs of the apostles, after Jesus rises from the dead and goes into heaven, we see another great change in history, the redemptive history. There's the preaching, and there's the revelation, and there are the writings of the, the apostles and the miracles. And then finally, the final apostle dies, and the signs of the apostles cease. And now we have only one great change to wait upon, and that's Jesus coming at, his, at the second coming of Christ. And so until then, we remain militant and faithful. As we begin to look at these, this passage, we see signs that the Lord is up to something. Now remember last week we talked about Samuel is with Saul. And he's revealing to Samuel the word of the Lord. Remember last week, we, we started our sermon last week with that last line in verse 27 of chapter 9. He says, But you remain standing now, Saul, that I, Samuel, may proclaim to you the word of God. And he gives to him a kingdom message, and he anoints his head with oil to be the first king of Israel. And no doubt, Saul's head is spinning in a circle almost. <laughs> because Saul doesn't know the prophet, but he's getting acquainted with the prophet. Saul really doesn't know the Lord, but he's becoming acquainted with the sacrifice and with a festival and with all of these wonderful truths. It's a momentous occasion, and he needs, Saul needs more assurance that God is in this. He needs proof of this. And so the Lord provides for him three particular signs that this is not just some happenstance or some series of consequences that he don't, they don't, um, they just kind of come about, but God has ordained all of these things. And so the first sign of the kingdom here is this. There's the sign at Rachel's tomb. Did you notice those three places? He's going to be at Rachel's tomb, the oak of Tabor, and the hill of God. These are three places where we're going to have three signs. The first sign is the sign at Rachel's tomb. He says, when you go up from me in verse 2, then you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb. And these two men are going to speak to you, Samuel says, and tell you that your father's no longer worried about the donkeys. They've been found. But, they're, but your father's going to be worried about you. And so that, that's the first sign that he's to look to. The second sign is the sign of the oak of Tabor. And this is where Saul will meet three men going up to Bethel to worship the Lord. And they will be taking the accoutrements, that are necessary for worship. One of the men will have three goats, one of the men will have uh, three loaves of bread, and one will have a skin of wine, all of these for worship. And he says that one of the men is going to give you two loaves of bread, and you are to take those two loaves. The third sign is the sign at the hill of God. And this is where Saul will travel to the hill of God, and he's going to meet a procession of prophets. And these prophets are going to be singing prophets. And they will be singing as they come down from the high place, finishing worship of God there. And they will have their instruments of lyres and flutes and harps. And they will be singing and praising God. And Saul tells, I mean, Samuel tells Saul, you are going to enter in and you will prophesy with them and you will be a changed man. So these are the signs that Saul is to expect once he leaves the prophet. And according to verse 9, every one of them actually occurs exactly as was laid out just now. The signs of the kingdom are given to Saul to provide for him assurance that the Lord is in this and not this is just something that just happens by coincidence. The first, so let's, we've said that we've talked about the signs. 
Let's look at, at the significance of the signs. The first thing, these signs are given to Saul to give him assurance that God has called him to be the first king of Israel. Now, I want you to notice something about these signs. These are not fortune cookie signs, right? You ever open up a fortune cookie? Today, you're going to meet a mysterious person. <laughs> well, every person that's new is mysterious, right? I mean, how general can you get? Did you notice how specific these signs are? Places. We got tomb of Rachel, oak of Tabor, hill of God. We got people. We got two men, three men. We got a bunch of men. We got guys who are talking and guys who are singing. We got all these specifics. This guarantees to him that God is the one who's working all of this out. It's going to give him assurance that God is in the movement from judges to a king, change of government. And the second reason that he gives the signs is this. The second significant reason is to assure Saul of the Lord's power and presence. In verse 5 through 7, he goes to the hill of God, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, Saul, mightily, and you will be changed into another man. And verse 7 says, God is with you. There's power and there's God's presence. And the third very important thing that these signs are significant for is this. They teach King Saul by their fulfillment that the king of Israel is always, we said this last week, get ready, you're going to hear this a lot. When God wants to work a truth into us, he just is not going to let up. And here it is, that he as the king is subordinate to the word of God. He as the king is subordinate to the word of God. Once all of these signs are fulfilled, he will be assured that he's the king. He will be assured of God's presence and power. And he must operate underneath this little man named Samuel. <laughs> you with me? The head and shoulders man above the rest must operate under this little old man named Samuel. He's a powerful man. He needs to operate underneath the word of God. Now, this is implied in verses 5 through 7, and it's very explicit in verse 8. But listen to this. The word of the Lord through the prophet tells him, After you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, he says, You will be filled with power. And then the word of God comes to him again in verse 7 and says, It will be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. Again, this is implied. It's implied that, that he is to operate according to, to what the prophet is saying. Now, there's one thing here. I'm just going to throw this out. It appears to me, and there's great uh, contention about what I'm about to say, but it appears to me that when Saul is filled with this power, it says that he is to do for yourself what the occasion requires. And there's a Philistine garrison real close. And it seems to me like he's being told to go over there and remove the garrison from this territory because it's not supposed to be there. Now that's debatable, but under but one thing's not. It's it's implied he's to be to be under the word of God. And then we come to verse eight, and it's very explicit. Listen to verse eight. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you. And here it is and show you what you should do. That's explicit. Think about it. 
Here's every king of all the nations. Their rule, their word is it. They are gods. But this king, Saul, the man whose head and shoulders above the rest, this is going to be the test. This is going to be the test of this man. Head and shoulders above the rest. Will he submit to the word of God as it comes through the prophet? This is going to be the test of his life. And we're going to see that he does not pass the test. These are the signs of the kingdom and their significance. It was the Lord's will for him to be the king. God's going to be with him. God's going to give him power. God's going to change him into a different sort of man. And as we move through all of this, we need to look at some specific questions regarding that third sign. Or if we do not, we will be tied up in a knot, a theological knot, if we don't work through that third sign. If we work through this third sign, then it will help us in weeks to come in chapter 13 and 14 and 15 when this man melts down and he does things his own way. So let's figure this out tonight. First question is this, and it's right around verse 5. He says, after you come to the hill of God, and then verse 6 he says, the Spirit will come upon you mightily, and listen, you will prophesy with them and be changed into another man. In verse 9 it says, God changed Saul's heart. Now, how did God change Saul's heart? We've got to deal with this. So here's the first question. Is Saul a regenerate man? Is Saul a born-again man? Sure sounds like it. Sure seems like it. Spirit comes on him mightily, prophesies with the prophets. God, it says, changed his heart. Sure sounds like it. Now, I'm I'm just going to ask for you to listen carefully as I read. I won't have you turn there. I'm just going to have you listen carefully as I read from Exodus 36. I'm going to read verses 25, 26, and 27, but I'm going to read them in this order, 26, 25, and 27, okay? For a reason. Ezekiel 36, 26. The prophet Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from, your, from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Here's the question. Is this the change that happened in Saul? Has Saul been, take his heart of stone, has it been replaced with a heart of flesh? That's the question. Verse 25, the prophet, can go, go back one verse. The prophet says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Again, the question is, has Saul been cleansed of his sin? So the prophet speaks of God changing the heart in verse 26. In verse 25, the prophet speaks of God cleansing the heart with with clean water. God is the one who does this action. He's the one who does both of these things, one, one, one person working, two things he's doing at the very same time. Jesus says the same things in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then he says this, you have to be born of water. There's that sprinkling and cleansing. And born of the Spirit, there's that giving of that new heart, not the, taking the stone out and replacing it with the heart of flesh. Again, here's one action. It's composed of two parts. It's done by the Spirit of God. So back to the question. Did this happen to Saul? Is that what happened to Saul? 
Does Saul have his sins cleansed? Of cleansed? Does Saul have a new heart, a new change of heart by the Spirit of God? Now, 27, verse 27. The prophet tells us that the one who receives this cleansing of sins and this change of heart can be recognized by this sign. Here it is. Listen. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Is that Saul's experience? Here's a changed heart. Cleansing of sin, change of heart. How do I know that has happened in Saul or in me even? He says this, I will give you the Spirit of God and you will have this desire to do the will of God from your heart. Saul does not do this. When the third sign occurred and all the signs were given to him, he would be empowered by the Spirit. He would be very close to a Philistine outpost and he must do whatever his hand finds to do. He must attack it, I believe. Okay? But he didn't. And I think this is an omen. I think this is a precursor to the days ahead when he's going to disobey God absolutely straight out. We're going to see that later. He shows no inclination at this point to obey God at this point. And later on, he will take matters again into his own hands. So, is Saul a regenerate man? The answer, I think, is no. Y'all can talk to me later about it if you want to. We can argue later. Good conversation. But here's the second question. If he's not, then here's the second question we have to answer. In what sense did God, in what sense did Saul become a different man? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. We're told he was changed into a different person. How can this be if he's not born again? Well, we have to understand that in the Scriptures, the Spirit of God can come upon a person and equip that person for a particular task, a particular vocation, or, or a particular job. And we're told that Bezalel was filled with the Holy Spirit that he might engage in all kinds of metal work. He was very gifted by God to do this work. We see the Spirit of the Lord coming on Othniel and Gideon and Jephthah and Samson who pushes the columns down and the walls, I mean the whole building falls down and what, over 3,000 people die at one moment. God equipped Saul for his vocation. But we don't see a cleansing of sin. We don't see a change of heart. And we know this because we don't see him doing the will of God. Question three, what about the fact that Saul prophesied? Surely this means he's a new man. He prophesied with the prophets, with those singing prophets. And listen, there's no doubt, and we could talk about this too, there's no doubt that people enjoy worship. This man is with the man, Samuel, the itinerating preacher, the man whose words do not fall to the ground. He's been with him. He went to worship and sacrifice. He sat down at a table and had a feast. He's been with him on the roof. He's been with him out of t- on the way out of town. He's been close to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. But we don't see that he obeys God's Word. Scripture teaches us that those who prophesy simply were not always born of the Spirit of God. I think one of the greatest examples comes to us in the story about Balaam. Do y'all know the story about Balaam? Remember the donkey? (laughs) So Balaam, he's a wicked prophet, and the Spirit of the Lord will not allow him to do anything but bless Israel and not curse Israel. The king of Moab wants him to curse Israel, but the Spirit of God won't let him. 
And so anyway, as the story goes, uh, he's dri- he's riding uh, driving his car. He's 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 driving his donkey down the road, right? And so as he's going down the road, the Spirit of God, the, the angel of the Lord is there with his sword drawn, and the donkey sees him, but the Balaam doesn't. And he's, he keeps pulling the reins, and he's kicking the donkey, and the donkey ends up speaking to him. And then God opens his eyes to see. The Lord is there in front of him with his sword drawn. Now here's what, I, I know I got this from Jonathan Edwards. I never forgot it when I think I was about 26 when I read this. Did the Spirit of God leave His nature in the donkey? No. <laughs> so, in other words, when the Spirit worked in the donkey, He didn't leave a new nature in the donkey. He just used the donkey. And when the Spirit of God works in, in Saul, He doesn't leave His nature there. And we know He doesn't because He doesn't do the will of God. Later on, Saul is going to send one group of men after the next to capture and kill David. And every time those men go to capture and to bring David back to him, you know what happens to them? They start prophesying. And Saul says, well, I'm going to go take matters into my own hand. I'm going to do it. I, you know, if anybody's going to do it right, I'm going to have to do it for myself. And so he goes and he does it. Guess what happens to him? He starts prophesying. And so God overrules his bad plan to kill David by causing him to prophesy. So in each case, we have Balaam, we have the donkey, we have Saul's men, we have Saul all prophesying and not one of them leaving, having the Spirit of God leaving a new nature in their souls. Not one of them. If the Spirit of the Lord has been given to you, the evidence of it will be that you do the will of God from the heart. So here's question four. How can you know that you've been born again? How can you know that your sins have been cleansed? How can you know that your heart has been changed? How can you know that you are seeing and entering into the kingdom of heaven? Well, you have to do the will of God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and perform many miracles? I mean, Saul could say that. He's prophesied. And to all of these things we we can say, all oh, those are good. And Jesus says to these people who said this, I never knew you. You know why he says that? Because earlier he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, let's be very clear. Um, who is born again? Not the man or woman who prophesies. Not the man or woman who cast out demons. Not the man or woman who proclaims the gospel but the one who obeys, the one who obeys the will of God. Whatever happened, one commentator said this, whatever happened to obedience? (laughs) Wow, whatever happened to obedience? Your salvation and my salvation is completely based on the obedience of Jesus Christ. His obedience, His righteousness, that is our salvation is based on that, us receiving that by faith. And everyone who says, Lord, Lord, and does the will of God, those are the ones who are saved. In Saul, we don't find this. Whatever happened to obedience to the word of God in Matthew 12, 46 through 50, Jesus is talking to a crowd and and his mother and his brothers, and that passage says mothers and brothers are out there waiting. They're trying to get into him. Remember, uh, have you ever seen the idea of Jesus sitting inside a house, all the people are gathered around, and all the people are outside the house. There's no way they can get into him. And they're, they're kind of, you know, word of mouth, getting it to Jesus. Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. 
wanting to speak to you. They, I think they think he's insane, right? And Jesus makes them feel like he's insane. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? <laughs> yeah, we knew you were insane. And then he looks out at all the crowd and says, this is my mother. These are my brothers. All those who do the will of God. These are my mother. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. The sign of the new birth is doing the will of God or obedience. Now let's turn this on its ear just a second. So faith in Jesus Christ will be, uh, you will see it in that people will do the will of God. They will obey. But here's a little way of thinking about this. Where there's true faith in Christ, you will find yourself obeying the revealed will of God. And what if you see that you are not obeying the revealed will of God? What will you do? Well, let's just say, let me, let me give you another word. Some people should, will say, repent, right? Repent. Let me give you another word. Make the adjustment. Ever thought about it like that? Make the adjustment. I'm walking with God. I'm doing God's will. I'm doing God's will. And I'm, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm seeing I'm not in conformity to it. Well, make the adjustment. Go back to that. Go make the adjustment. Whatever happened to making those adjustments? Whatever happened to repentance? Now, one of the reasons I think we're having a hard time in our country today is because our country and our generation is totally wrapped up and absorbed with external signs. Saul is wrapped up with signs. Saul is wrapped up with sensory things. Saul is wrapped up with... I love Ben's playing, right? But some churches are wrapped up with bands. Some churches are wrapped up. I wrote this in my notes and it is stop, I stopped in my tracks. Everything is focused on what happens next. You know, sometimes I think that I stopped doing so much media because I started realizing that every day it was just, how much new was it? You know, here, I, you know, every now and then my pockets have little pieces of stuff in them like yours, you know, little, every, that's, that's how much new is tomorrow in the news. That's how much. And we do this when we come to church. I wonder if the preacher's going to preach as good as he did last week. I wonder if Ben's going to play as well as he did last week. What ha- what's next? Is there anything new? And we come and we start wanting to be entertained. And if all worship is is about entertainment, instead of, being, instead of hearing the Word of God, oh no, we're never going to find out what it means to repent. The only way we can repent is for people to preach the Word of God. The only way we can learn how to make those adjustments is to come and hear it read. You know, one of the things, folks, you look at this order of service, and every part of it is just spirit-bled stuff right out of the pages of the Bible. And so you read the Bible and you give. And you read the Bible and you pray. And you read the Bible and you, and you hear somebody preach and explain it. And then you go, thank you for that. And then you hear the Bible and you repent of your sins and you confess and you receive this assurance and all these little pieces and all these parts. And where does that come from? It comes from hearing the Bible. But if you don't hear it, if you don't hear it, all you're doing is looking for entertainment. You'll never be able to make these adjustments. So are you born again? (laughs) Are you born again? Cleanse of your sin. Do you have a new heart? How can you know? Do you do the will of God? Well, tonight we have the privilege of inviting you to the Lord's Supper. And on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, drink ye all of it for the forgiveness of your sins. That's why he went to the cross. And so this sacrament was instituted that night and he gave it to his disciples. And tonight he gives it to you.
his disciples today, 2,000 plus years later. The Lord Jesus offers this bread and this wine to you. And as we have just seen, it's for those who are born of God. It's for those cleansed of their sin who have new hearts and do his will. Tonight, the table is open to all who are born of God. It's not for people who are perfect. We all seek to do the will of God, but we all know that, as we said this morning, we have that holy discontentment. <laughs> we, want to do, we want to be more holy than we are. And so we're willing tonight, if you're one of those born-again believers, you're willing to examine your heart, and you're willing to make the adjustment. You're willing to repent of any sin. Let me say this, if you're unwilling to make the adjustment, if you're unwilling to repent, I'm going to ask for you to stay away from, to, to refrain from taking the elements tonight. But I would also say this, why do that? Why do that? Repent of the sin. You need to eat, and you need to drink, and you need the grace to go on the next tomorrow. So don't stay away from the table, turn away from your sin. If you're here tonight, and you do not know what we're doing, if you're unsure about what we're doing, then let the trays pass in front of you, and tonight, here's how you participate. You think about this message. You think about Saul, and you think about the fact that God used him, and you think about how God wants to work in your heart and use you to do His will. There's a difference. And as we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to think about coming to Him. First, receive Him, and we'll prepare to receive the table at a later service. Are you ready? Jesus offers himself to every one of you who've professed your faith in Christ. Are you a member of this church or another church? Have you been baptized and have you placed yourself under the accountability of a session? This bread and this wine belongs to you. Jesus gives it to you, his disciples. He will feed you spiritually as we eat and drink with faith in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come, worship you at this time, and eat and drink with our Lord Jesus Christ and with our brothers and sisters. Pray that we would turn away from all sin, make all the adjustments we need, turn away from every sin, always resting totally on the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and his broken body. We thank you for these elements that represent what Jesus did on the cross. We pray that as we eat, that you would feed us spiritually. We pray that as we eat, we would eat with faith in our hearts, as we look and touch and taste. Lord, that you would feed us and strengthen us. We praise you for this opportunity to be with, with each other and with you. Take these elements now and set them apart and their common to sacred use for the glory of God and for the good of our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.